Welcome to another episode of the Miko Paled podcast. First off, I just want to thank all the people who have subscribed and given us so much positive feedback so far, especially as we get further into this project. I do hope everybody is staying in and staying safe out there. But before we get into today's episode, I want to announce a really exciting event that Miko has organized um, and is coming up here in early May, the first two weeks of May. So this will be a live two-part online series taking place on May 6th and May 13th. And the title of this online webinar event is From Corbin to Sanders, Are Zionist Organizations Targeting Progressive Politicians? So the main questions that we're going to be tackling during this uh, two-part series with two different guest panels are what evidence do we have that demonstrates the targeting of both U.S. and U.K. progressive and pro-Palestine politicians, but also electoral movements by these pro-Israel groups and their allies. What tactics do these Zionist special interest groups employ to cause their you know, desired shifts in the greater electoral process? And lastly, how do we tackle this dangerous phenomenon while also bringing issues of Palestinian justice forward and past the propaganda? So like I said, this is um, an online event hosted by Miko that will be split into two parts. So that first part one is going down on Wednesday, May 6th at 12.30 p.m. And that's Eastern Standard Time. And our guest panel is Chris Williamson, who is the former labor MP for Derby North and a city council leader and activist. Ali Abunima. Who is, the, who is an author and also the co-founder of the excellent The Electronic Intifada. And then we've got Dr. Wilmer Leon, who is an author and host of the show Inside the Issues. So part two is happening just one week later, Wednesday, May 13th, at the exact same time, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And our guest panel for that event is Anya Parimpil, journalist at The Gray Zone, S.D. Chandler, who is a founding organizer at Jewish Voice for Peace Los Angeles and also a host and producer at Middle East on Focus radio show. And then we've got Asa Winstanley, who is a journalist and associate editor at the Electronic Intifada. So registration is now open for both online events, which will be held on Zoom. And we highly encourage folks to go ahead and register ahead of time secure your spot. Um, that allows you to participate in the Q&A portions of the event. Uh, that way you can ask a, a question to the guest panel. So just head on over to mikopaled.com and you will see the event page right there on the homepage. Can't miss it. And all your registration links are there. You can uh, register for one or both of the events. And we look forward to seeing everybody there. All right, so back to today's episode. In this one, Miko connected with an old friend of his, a gentleman named Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, who is an esteemed and retired rabbi from Queens, New York. So Rabbi Shapiro is also an author, and he's, he's most well known for his really excellent understanding of Judaism, uh, various components of Jewish identity, and he's perhaps maybe best known for his original and outspoken stance uh, defending the historic Orthodox Jewish position that rejects the concept of Jewish na nationalism and by extension opposes Zionism. So I, I can definitely recommend checking out Rabbi Shapiro's uh, book, The Empty Wagon, Zionism's Journey from Identity Crisis to Identity Theft. And this is an excellent conversation. I mean, Miko and Rabbi Shapiro had a really great talk about anti-Zionism in the context of Orthodox Judaism, the origins of the movement, how this sort of plays out within Israel, anti-Semitism, and nation-state building in the name of Judaism. It's a fascinating conversation and viewpoint that is uh, seldom brought into the greater conversation of Palestine and Israel. So go ahead and enjoy this uh, conversation between Miko and Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. With uh, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, we're both um, each in our at our own place. I'm in Washington D.C. and he's in uh, New York. Uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 are raging, and so everybody's got to stay put. So we're staying put, and we're doing this um, 
interview this podcast uh, via Skype. Um, and I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. You and I have been friends for some time. We've talked a lot about, about Zionism, about Israel, about Judaism. And um, I think you're probably the number one, or if not the number one, one of the top spokespeople um, on the issue of Judaism versus Zionism and the opposition of Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox Jews to Zionism. So maybe you can take a minute or two, introduce yourself, tell tell us who you are a little bit, a little bit about your background, and then talk about this idea that to most people sounds strange, that the most observant, the most orthodox Jewish communities in the world are actually in opposition to Zionism and reject the state of Israel. Right. Uh, so, as you mentioned, my name is Yaakov Shapiro, and um, I've been a rabbi here in Far Rockaway for over uh, 35 years. I'm currently retired from the pulpit, but still very active in speaking, writing, um, and in general giving people advice on uh, various Jewish issues. In particular, one of my uh, specialties, things that I've been dealing with a lot, is the idea that Zionism is um, includes Judaism or that Judaism supports Zionism. That's a terrible uh, misconception uh, in the same sense that somebody may think that uh, if you, let's say you're a Protestant Christian, that like the Pope represents you. There are many people out there that think that, uh, now we know there are different sects of Christianity and different sects of many religions, and um, there are certain sects of Christianity that consider the other ones inauthentic. The, the thing with Judaism is, is that Zionism, ironically, wasn't even designed to be another branch of Judaism. It was designed to negate Judaism and change Jewish identity from members of a religious community to a nationality or an ethnicity or even a race. Uh, different Zionists had different ideas about what they want to change it into. Um, today, Zionists, the Zionists wanted to create a safe haven, a state for Jewish people who are suffering persecution. Yeah, that's baloney. Um, that's baloney. What, uh, there were Jews, religious Jews, uh, Rabbi Rhinus and his group, that looked at the state the Zionist movement as something that can provide a silver lining in the terrible black cloud that they had, that at the end of the day, we may have a safe haven. If that were true, if that were true, then they would have accepted Madagascar or Alaska or any of the other suggestions that were uh, available to the Jews because you could be you, you'd be much safer in Uganda or Alaska than they are in the Middle East over there. The reason why the Zionists insisted on using Palestine as the area for the Jewish state was despite the fact that they knew that Palestine would be the most dangerous place for the Jews to go of all the options, and it's turned out to be that way. So Zionism was much more and much less than finding a safe haven. This safe haven business was, in the words of a political scientist, Shlomo Avineri, uh, political propaganda that was created after Zionism in order to sanitize the real reason for Zionism. And it's, it's baloney, it's just not true. The reason why the Zionists created Zionism was because they didn't want to be Jews in the traditional sense of that word. Um, being a Jew meant being religious, being a Jew meant the definition of a Jew. The actual definition of a Jew is somebody who is obligated to fulfill God's Torah because they accepted the Torah on Mount Sinai. And it used to, that's the narrative in the Bible. And if you didn't believe that, you didn't identify as a Jew. Um, there were other types of 
break off religions of the Jews. In the olden days, we had the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Karaites, um, uh, uh, but they also believed that Judy, being a Jew, is a member of a religion. Just like many religions, they had a different interpretation of the religion. The Zionists were unique in that they said, no, Judaism has nothing to do with being a religion, which means like Christianity has nothing to do with being a religion. Instead, it's a nationality. Um, or Jabotinsky yeah, said it's thing. a race. Are you saying there's no such thing as a Jewish people? The Jewish people means it's a nationality, doesn't it? It's a no. nation. No, no, that's not true. Is there such a thing as a Christian nation? Is there such a thing as the le nation of left-handed people? Do you remember? No, there's no such thing. Def I'll tell you what, Miko. Tell me what a nation is, any definition you like, and then let's see if that definition applies to the Jewish people. Go ahead. So what, so what are Jewish people? So if it's not the Jewish people, does not that mean that they're a nation? Well, explain what a nation means in order for me to understand your question, and we'll see. I, I say that whatever definition you're going to give me as a nation. A people that share a history, that share a land, that share a language. Well, okay. Have the, Jews, have the Jews shared? First, let's take a land and a language. Have the Jews shared a land and a language for thousands of years? No. Jews have not spoken Hebrew since biblical times. And in fact, before, you know, before they, they spoke Hebrew, what did they speak? Uh, when was Hebrew invented? But certainly after uh, they left the Holy Land, after biblical times, even when they were in the Holy Land during the Second Temple period, they spoke Aramaic. And Jews haven't spoken Hebrew, or I speak English. There are Jews that spoke Yiddish, spoke Ladino, Arabic. Jews have not spoke Hebrew for thousands of years, okay? Now, so as far as... Israel, so isn't the whole idea of Israel to, 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 to write this historic wrong, to bring back Jews to their language, to their land, isn't that... Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. They never had a land. So tell me, when the Jews did not have a language or a land, and in terms of history, explain to me what common history I, as a Jew, have with the Jews in Morocco? I, my family's from Poland, hundreds and hundreds of years. We have the history of Poland. Um, the Jews in Morocco were there for centuries as well. Tell me what common history we have in biblical times. Don't forget, there are Jews that don't even believe that that's historical to begin with, correct? You grew up in Israel, and did they teach you that the Bible is an actual historical document that Moses split the Red Sea, that all of this was historical. No, they don't believe in that. So where is the historical connection between all the Jews? And at what point back do you say, look, all, according to the Bible, according to Judaism, all human beings have historical uh, common, commonality because Adam, uh, Cain and, and Abel, and all these people were um, common ancestors. So the so, Jews had common ancestors. What do Jews have in common? So what is it the Jews from, like you, came from Poland and ones who came from Morocco, what do they have in common? What makes them a people? As Rabbi Sadja Gon said a thousand years ago, Ain umosenu umo elo so. The Jews are united and have a common denominator only because they were given the Torah on Mount Sinai, thereby obligating themselves, they're obligating them to fulfill it. If you want to know what the Jews are, I will give you a definition that you won't see on the internet uh, and you won't read in the newspapers. It is not an ethnicity, it is not a race, it is not a nationality. Being a Jew is a job description. The job is given to us by God to fulfill the mitzvahs of the Torah. Whoever was given that job is a Jew. Whoever wants to get that job, let's say you want to convert, people convert. You want to become a Jew, that means you have to accept the job. Uh, being a Jew is a job description. That's all it is. Whoever is a Jew means he's obligated, according to the religion, to fulfill the laws of the Torah. If you are not obligated, you are not a Jew. 
If you are obligated, you are a Jew. So, so let me ask you two questions. One is, so you're saying there's no importance at all to Jews being in the Holy Land? And number two, since there is now a state for the Jews, why oppose it? What's the problem with having a Jewish state? Okay, first, there is significance of the Holy Land. The Holy Land is a holy place. And at first, it doesn't matter who owns it. It's just as holy when the Romans owned it, when the Mamluks owned it, when the Ottomans owned it, when the British owned it. It has nothing to do with sovereignty or ownership. Uh, synagogues are holy, and there are synagogues all over the world. Uh, there's no reason for us to own the lands that the synagogues are found in awe. The graves of holy, or graves of sages are holy, and they're all over the world. There are graves of sages in Iraq, all over Europe. Ownership has nothing to do with holiness. The significance of the Holy Land is that it is more holy, and there are more of these mitzvahs that you could fulfill there than outside the Holy Land. It's, it's the order of mitzvahs. Is they like the commandments, the laws? There, there are commandments and laws that you could fill in, in, fulfill in Israel. Now listen, there are, there are a few things. Thing number one, not all Jews have the same amount of commandments. There are different types of Jews that have different commandments. Just like if you have a, if you're employed by a company, different people have different jobs. Different Jews have different jobs who are employed by God. There's a very similar, there's a, most of it is common to all of us, but uh, if you own a house, you have certain jobs that, ref that apply to your house. If you own livestock, if you own land, if you're a farmer, if you live in the Holy Land, um, if you have a wife, if you want to divorce your wife, there are ways. If you have a firstborn son, if you have a son altogether, if you have children, every circumstance, if you're a righty or a lefty, you have different laws. And there are, every Jew has their job description. The Holy Land, and now it's not Israel only the Holy Land, the borders of the Holy Land are not the same borders as of Israel. A lot is not part of the Holy Land, but Southern Lebanon is. So if you live in southern, southern Lebanon, you live in the Holy Land, but if you live in Eilat, you don't. It's like the same as living in China, yet if you live in southern Lebanon, Nakora, I think, is uh, like a town really, really south in, in Lebanon. If you live in Nakora, you, have the same, you are basking in the same holiness as if you were in Haifa, probably more holy, because holiness also depends upon how sinful the people are, and the Arabs, in general, those Arabs that fulfilled the laws of chastity, they, the, the women and the men are separate, you know, and that they fulfill their, um, uh, their separation between men and women, there is much less pollution in the Holy Land than the Jews in Tel Aviv that uh, just violate all the laws of holiness. Um, so the holiness in Nakora is probably more than the holiness of Tel Aviv as far as the holiness of the Holy Land is concerned. And it's just like anything else. If a person is ready to, to um, take upon himself more responsibilities, like in any job, uh, if you're ready to pay, take upon yourself more responsibilities, you can give yourself a promotion. And you could go to the Holy Land and now you have more obligations, more responsibilities. And don't forget, if you have more responsibilities, you're more scrutinized. A guy like Netanyahu, who is not observant at all, who is absolutely unobservant, he's considered a heretic, he's an enemy of God because he flouts God's laws, um, he would be much better off, much better off if he would live in Bangladesh than if he lives in the Holy Land. It's worse for the Holy Land because he pollutes it with his sins, and it's worse for him because being in the Holy Land, he's more scrutinized by God, just like uh, an executive or somebody in, in the king's palace is more scrutinized to behave properly towards the king than somebody who lives in some place. So you're that saying that the Zionists and the secular Jews who live in, in, in Israel are sinners? Yes. They're, they're, they're sinners anyway, because they're not fulfilling the Torah, but... It's an extra sin of sinning in Israel. What I mean is, 
that first of all, they're not, because we have extra responsibilities in Israel, if you shirk them, you're shirking more responsibilities than if you did than you, when you were, if you were outside Israel. Secondly, by shirking them in Israel, imagine if you, God is the king. God is closer to us in the Holy Land than outside the Holy Land. Imagine if you're a rebel against the king. So if you live, let's say, I don't know, the Queen of England, okay? And they're not really monarchs in the, you know, sense that they can, that they are dictators. But let's imagine days of a dictator, okay? You live in a king's palace and you, you're a rebel against him. You don't fulfill any of the king's rules. You are a much bigger um, you, you, your violation is much greater against the king than if you violated the king's rules and you lived in, um, I don't know what, uh, Manchester. Place altogether. I see. So uh, to, the Jews actually used to kick sinners out of the Holy Land, even if you were religious, but you weren't as religious as you need to be in the Holy Land. You have to be, if, you, if you're a real Orthodox Jew, I'm an Orthodox Jew. But if I'm an Orthodox Jew that wants to go to the Holy Land, I have to become more religious because more is expected of me if I move into the king's palace in terms of respecting the king and his laws than is expected of me here. Besides which, there are more laws there. But, you know, there, there are ultra-Orthodox, or, or at least they call themselves Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox Jews, um, who are very Zionist. In fact, there's a whole movement that wants to build a new temple, to get rid of the Al-Aqsa compound and build a Jewish temple. Surely, Orthodox Jews would like to see that, wouldn't they? Well, if you, well, yeah, no. If you read, if you read the Bible, you'll notice that there were Jews uh, all throughout the biblical period that were idol worshippers. There was the cult of the Baal. There was the king Ahab that caused people they to worship that. idols. There was Yeruvim. You're, you're saying that these guys are idol worshippers? Absolutely. Those idol worshippers in the days of the Bible were Orthodox Jews. The, uh, the prophet um, Eli Elijah on Mount Carmel told the idol worshippers, look, if you want to worship idols, go, be, go worship idols and stop worshipping God. If you want to worship God, stop worshipping idols, which means that they were worshiping both God and idols. And Zionism is idolatry because, because the definition of Zionism, the real definition is the idea that the Jewish people are a nationality and two, Israel is their state. Now, the idea that the Jewish people are a nationality as opposed to a religion is a denial of the Bible's definition of what a Jew is. It is a new definition of what a Jew is. It's like saying a Christian doesn't have to be religious. A Christian who's baptized means now you have to join a football league, okay? That would be heresy against the Christian religion because being a Christian means you have to be fulfill the Christian religion. And being a Jew means you are deputized and obligated to fulfill the Jewish religion. If somebody says, look, I don't want to fulfill the religion, that's bad enough. But if he says, it doesn't matter if I'm a Jew or not, being a Jew has nothing to do with religion, that's heresy. Heresy means, is idol worship in the Jewish religion. So All many religious Zionists, are idol worshippers who are also worshipping God. One more thing, their relationship, where, where do you think they got these crazy ideas, the settlers, about these crazy things they say, about their guns are holy guns and their wars are holy wars and, and they're going to die for the land. None of these they got from Judaism. There are no sources for it in Judaism. They got it from pagan land worship, German uh, romanticism and Hegelian nationalism. Their rabbi, Rabbi Abraham Cook, who invented all of this, was condemned by so many Orthodox rabbis because he in, introduced 19th century secular nationalism. Hegel, Herder, Bergson, all of these guys, he took their philosophy 
and said, no, we're going to fulfill this, and he pretended it's Judaism. So here's what happened. His students, who know nothing about the secular philosophy, right? They know nothing about it. They thought that his new ideas were some kind of Kabbalistic, mystic stuff. They're not. It's simple 19th century nationalism mixed in with Nietzschean philosophy, mixed in others, mixed in German vitalism, paganism, land worship, nutty stuff. But at the end of the day, Rabbi Cook, you know, I grew up in a very Zionist house and Rabbi Cook was uh, was admired because he was the one ultra-Orthodox rabbi who reached out and kind of made peace with the Zionists, whereas beforehand there was this rift between the two. Of course, there's still a rift today, but he reached out and he created this, this, this space where you could be a Zionist and you could be an Orthodox Jew. That's, so, exact, that's exactly what the Baal worshippers did in the days of the prophets. They said you could be an Orthodox Jew and also worship the idols. Thank you. That's exactly what he did. You can be a Zionist, meaning you could believe Zionist ideology. Zionist ideology that Jews are a nationality and that um, building the land is like the biggest the biggest benefit for the Jewish people. Um, it's the biggest form of, of worshiping God as opposed to the other things that really are worshiping God. He said that you could take this idolatrous Zionist ideology and be an Orthodox Jew. That's precisely, exactly, exactly what the idol worshipers did. They took idol worship from the pagans and they brought it into Judaism and they said you could be a kosher Jew and I worship idols. And that's why he was so opposed. So so you're saying that that there's no value, no importance to Jewish sovereignty in the Holy Land. Worse, uh, worse than no importance. The second thing, it's detrimental. Two reasons, three reasons. The, the, there's a religious reason why it's detrimental because Jews are not allowed to have sovereignty over the Holy Land uh, until the Messiah comes. That's first. Um, so it's prohibited. The whole state of Israel is prohibited to exist according to Judaism, period. Secondly, saying that the Jewish state is prohibited from being, from existing, and this is based on, on, on Judaism, on Jewish law. Yes, yes, 100%. This was one of the... And this is an Orthodox rabbi, so you can ex explain that a little bit more. Okay. The purpose of the Holy Land, the relationship between the Holy Land and the Jewish people is not the same as the relationship between France and the French. The Holy Land to the Jewish people does not make us into a, a people. Only our religion makes us into a people. The Holy Land is another tool given to us by God to become more religious. It is a holy place, and holy places have the ability to help us in our religious obligations. And God gave it to us. It says it in the Bible. Well, I'm giving you this land, God said. And if you fulfill my, mitz my, my mitzvahs, you can keep the land. And if not, and if not, I will kick you out of the land. Uh, if you worship idols in the land, if you sin in the land, I will kick you out. I will take it back. It's very simple. It's very simple. If I give you a promotion and you don't fulfill your responsibilities right, I'm demoting you. So God said, if you don't fulfill your obligations, I'm demoting you and I'm taking away the land. And God did take away the land. And every single Jew, even Zionists, say this in their prayers in every holiday. In Hebrew, We are now in Golos. And God said that, that we need to remain in, in Golos. Out, we need, need to remain in exile for our own sake. For our own sake. Since we are not compatible now with the Holy Land as a nation, individuals, yes, an individual can live in the Holy Land because every individual, you know, can judge for himself whether he's up to that responsibility. But God said, God said all over, our prophets told us, 
um, our sages told us, God said, collectively, I will let you know when you are ready to go back, the Messiah will come and bring you back. Until that time, not, not only is it prohibited, don't you dare go back. He said, if you try to go back, you'll be punished. It's bad. It's a big sin. Okay? So how, how many Jewish people you think be believe this or, or, or see Every, things the, the way everybody, you... everybody except Zionists, you should know, even, even the Orthodox Jews that are members of the Knesset and, the, and stuff like that, they agree with this. Their excuse is, look, whether we're in the Knesset or not, Israel will exist. So we're not contributing to Israel's existence. Rather, we need to remain, we need to be in the Knesset because, because the Zionists really don't like Orthodox Jews, even though they claim they do. They hate Orthodox Jews because we are a thorn in their eye, because we preach that Zionism is not Judaism. They want Zionism to be Judaism. Not only do they want their state to exist, they want everybody to believe Zionism is Judaism because that way anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, and that helps them. They want that when Germany wants to give reparations money to the Jews for the Holocaust, they won't give it to the Jews all over the world, to the yeshivas, to the rabbis. Give it to Israel. You know, Miko, right, that in, Israel, in America here, um, the taxis, there are all sorts of different cars that are taxis, Ubers. In Israel, what kind of tar cars are all the taxis? Mercedes. Yeah. You know why they're all Mercedes? From Germany. So let 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 the Germans give Mercedes school buses to the yeshivas all over the world. No, Israel represents the Jews. Give us the money. You want to be a good Jew? Support Israel. You want to be anti-Israel? You hate Jews. Yeah, but they're also building yeshivas, and there's all these, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of Orthodox Jews living there and praying and and getting benefits from the state, getting money yeah, from the no, state. So number one, number one, many Jews refuse to take those benefits from the state, and I'm on their I'm on their side. Well, the, Jews that, the Jews take benefit. The, they give benefits to the state. The, the Jews. Excuse me, the state gives benefits to the Orthodox Jews for two reasons. Reason number one, they want to encourage Orthodox Jews to come to Israel because Israel, ironically, even though they hate the Orthodox Jews, they do realize that the Orthodox Jews represent authentic Judaism. And they want Orthodox Jews to come support Israel or, or at least live there. And therefore, they're encouraging them to be there. But B, you know why they're giving the Jews the Orthodox Jews money it's for the same it's, it's for the same reason the fishermen give fish worms there is a hook attached to that money once the Jews the yeshivas accept that money then they Israel comes up with a policy that says well if you're not going to let your students join the Israeli army if you want an exemption for the draft, we're not going to support you anymore. Or if you're not going to implement a curriculum of Zionism in your schools, we're not giving you your money. So once you come to depend on them, now you are bound to them. Ben-Gurion told uh, Yeshayo Leibowitz that the reason why he doesn't want to separate church and state in Israel, he knows no separation of church and state, because he wants to control the religion. He wants to hold it in his hand, okay? So the reason why Israel gives all this money to the yeshivas is the reason why, same reason why fishermen give worms to fish. They want to hook them. Now, the yeshivas take, you want to know why the yeshivas take it? The answer is because if you ever went fishing, how many times did the fish steal the bait from your hook? The yeshivas are trying to take the bait and not get hooked. It's a dangerous game they're playing. So that's the difference. See, there are many, many Orthodox Jews. I'm on their side. Because I think what the other yeshivas doing is really, really bad, really dumb, especially nowadays. You know, and all the many rabbis said they shouldn't be doing it, but now they're kind of stuck. Once you allocate 40% of your income in your budget from... Uh, a revenue from the state, it's very hard to change.
but their but their game they're playing it's a it's a game between Israel and the, and the Orthodox Jews. Israel is giving them a hook with a, a worm on it, and the Orthodox Jews are trying to steal the bait. Me, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere, anywhere near their hook. Nowhere near. The problem is that the state of Israel says, "Look, they're taking our worms. They agree with us. They 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 support us." But that's not really true. That's just propaganda from Israel. You see. So let me ask you this. Right behind you is a photograph of Rabbi Yoel Teitelbaum, who's the Satma Rebbe. Yes. Um, I grew up never, I, I heard the term Satma Rebbe. I had no idea who he was, what he did, what Satma was. Um, today, I know that the Satma Rebbe uh, survived Auschwitz and uh, came to New York and developed what is today the Satma community, which is an enormous anti-Zionist, Jewish uh, community, mostly in the U.S., but uh, throughout the world. Can you talk a little bit about him and about your connection to Satmer and to and about Satmer and the in general in in relation to this issue of anti-Zionism? Because he was he was he was the most outspoken anti-Zionist of his time. If I'm if I'm not if I'm if I'm not wrong. Well, yeah, it depends what you mean by his time, and I'll explain. The Satmar community is the largest Jewish community in the world. They have the largest Jewish Orthodox Jewish, the largest single Orthodox community in the world, period. They have, they say, a couple hundred thousand here in America. Uh, maybe a hundred thousand, depends who you count, the babies and, you know, who you consider Satmar. Um, in Israel, they have Belgium, London, all over the world. But not only with the Satmar rabbi, um, the head of that community, he was also the official chief rabbi of Jerusalem. They elected him the chief rabbi of Jerusalem, of the Eidah HaChredis, even though he lived in America. He was such a, he was the greatest. Who elected him the chief rabbi? If he, if he was anti-Zion, how, how does that work? I don't understand. Who voted okay, him to be? So, so let, a little history is in order. Um, the reason why Israel has chief rabbis it's not a Jewish tradition. It's a British tradition. Chief rabbis who are employed by the government, they got it from England during the mandatory period. England has chief rabbis, right? So the uh, Palestine under mandatory England also had chief rabbis. Jews never had chief... Jews, it's not a Jewish idea, okay? Now, the... They had an Ashkenaz chief rabbi and a Sephardi chief rabbi. Now, the government-appointed chief rabbis, between me and you, they're figureheads. Most of them in England, Sachs and now Mervis, they're not really recognized by the Orthodox community. They're like figureheads. You know, they're more like pol they're, political they're rabbis. They're actually Zionist rabbis. They're not recognized at all by the Orthodox community. Right. That's true, too. But the... My point is that the fact that they are chief rabbis of England, their authority as chief rabbis of England are not recognized by, you know, Orthodox Jews. It's, right. we, they look at it as, I don't know, some kind of position, you know. Um, they're, not the, they're not great Torah scholars, none of them. You know, Sachs was, I know, some intellectual philosopher, but as far as Judaism is concerned... You know, he doesn't hold a candle to the to the orthodox orthodox top scholars. Nothing. Forget about it. So, how did the Satmar Rabbi become the chief rabbi of Jerusalem? So, here's what happened: the British um, government appointed, they elected two rabbis, an Ashkenaz and a Sfard. The Ashkenaz was Rabbi Cook, who was elected the first chief rabbi. the The orthodox non-Zionist Jewish community who were the majority in those days, said, we need our own chief rabbi of this country, of Jerusalem mostly, because that's where they were, in order to counter the chief rabbi there. And also, very important, in order to represent our community to the British. So they elected their own anti-Zionist rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Chaim Sonnenfeld. Okay? He had an emissary to the British, um, a guy, Dr. Jacob Dahan, who was who was a, a professor uh, 
and a very eloquent uh, uh, spokesman, the Zionists assassinated him in cold blood. A man by the name of Avraham Tahomi. They know who he is, and he bragged about it. He said, "Well, yeah, he put Zionism in danger." It was the first. It was the first political assassination in Palestine, and it was done by the Zionists of Yaakov Dehanias against an Orthodox Jew. Yes. Okay. Because he went to the British and he said, no, the Orthodox community in Palestine does not want a Zionist state. And in fact, we would rather be under the, the Arabs or under the British rather than being under the Zionists. We're happy the way things are. Uh, in those days, the Jews got along very well with the, with the Arabs in Palestine. Rabbi Zonenfeld and, and the Mufti of those days were, were, were good friends. And the Jews and the Arabs got along. In fact, uh, really they did. And it's well known that the Jewish women usually don't go to synagogue on the Sabbath because they have to take care of the kids at home. But during one day, the whole high holy day of the year on Yom Kippur, they do go. But for the and for their kids, they need babysitters. But if all the Jewish girls and boys are in synagogue, who's going to babysit for their kids? So guess who? The Arabs in Jerusalem, used to babysit the Jewish children on Yom Kippur every year, okay? And there was no problem with that. Until the Zionists came, uh, you know, late, uh, late uh, 19th century, early 20th century, and started, uh, they made boycotts against Arab workers, hire only Jewish workers, and they started saying, we're taking over the country. The Mufti of Jerusalem then, I, I had written about it in my book, he said, that had the Jews not wanted to take over the country and become a state, they just wanted to move here and have a place to live in peace, there would have been no problem. So okay. let's go back to Rabbi, to Rabbi uh, Teitelbaum and the Satmar Rabin. Right. Yeah. So Rabbi Sonnenfeld was the right, this was called the Eida HaKaredis, the alternative uh, more widely recognized as authoritative um, chief rabbinate of Jerusalem. And when Rabbi Sonnenfeld passed away in 1930, so he had, there was another rabbi, and then there was somebody else, you know, took over his place. Rabbi Teitelbaum was elected um, in the 50s, the chief rabbi of this uh, Jerusalem Bezdin, and Bezdin means high court, and he kept that position till he passed away in 1979. And even though he did it from absentia, uh, you have to say, he was it was unbelievable. He took care of the largest Jewish congregation in the world. He was the rab he was the rav, the rabbi. He was the Hasidic Rebbe. He was the dean of the school. Now, usually these jobs are separated. He was all of this of the largest community in the world, and at the same time, he was chief rabbi of Jerusalem. That's how talented, capable, scholarly he was. Now he came, he, was, he came. He was a Holocaust survivor. The Satmer, many of the Satmer community are Holocaust survivors because Satmer used to be Hungary, so they're Hungarian. Of course, I, Satumar, Satmer is now Satumare, and it's in Romania. I visited there last year, but. The important thing is we're talking about a largely anti-Zionist uh, community that are survivors of the Holocaust. So how could a rabbi like him, who came out of that and arrived in New York, as far as I understand, you know, with nothing, be so adamantly anti-Zionist? Can you explain that? I don't understand. Why would the fact that he came out of the Holocaust and everything make it a surprise to you that he's anti-Zionist? Because Zionism was, symbolizes the rebirth of the Jews after the destruction of the Holocaust. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah, you're wrong. That's after Zionist propaganda. That's okay, Zionist first. propaganda. Um, Zionism, first of all, it wasn't, no. Zionism planned on creating a state way before the Holocaust, okay? In the Holocaust, actually, the Zionists, it's well known, they sabotaged escape routes for, for Jews from Europe, 
uh, if that escape route would be anywhere, if their destination would be anywhere besides Palestine. This is well documented. Um, you know, I, I, I can't go into it now, but if you want, read Perfidy by Ben Hecht, uh, go Google it. Um, uh, Morris Ernst reported it to President Roosevelt wanted to let Jews in. This, that, the, uh, the Zionists claim that nobody wanted to let Jews in is largely because the Zionists lob, actually lobbied countries not to let Jews in. Uh, Google the Evian conference. This is a long um, topic in and of itself. But it's not the rebirth of Jews. You know why it's not the rebirth of Jews after the Holocaust? Because the Jews never died in the Holocaust. Six million did. But Judaism did not need a rebirth. What rebirth? When rebirth? You know what the rebirth is? We have more Jews in America learning Torah here than we ever did anywhere in the world. And there are more Jews here in America than, than there are in Israel, okay? And, oh, well, it depends how you count the Israeli Jews. There are a lot of non-Jews who they count as Jews, so it's hard to know exactly who's a Jew and what mm -hmm. census you're taking. But put it this way, if it wasn't for America, the support they give to Israel, Israel wouldn't even exist. Israel does not represent the rebirth of Judaism. It represents the, the, um, the rebellion of Jews against Judaism in response to the Holocaust. They just exploit the Holocaust and the memory of the Holocaust survivors. Who would rather, many of them would rather have died than become Zionists, just like Jews died to, rather than give up their religion and convert to other religions. Do you know what the Zionists used to call the Holocaust survivors? Oh, you surely know. You're Israeli. You know what they used to call the Holocaust survivors? Tell me. A bone. That means soap. Because the Nazis reputedly used to make soap out of the Jews. They used to call them soap. They, made, they, they mocked them. And until, and until the, the late 1950s, uh, the Holocaust survivors, the whole Holocaust was an embarrassment to the Zionists. Because it wasn't a rebirth because of the Holocaust. The Zionists, what, re what, re how is it a rebirth? What rebirth? On the contrary, these guys gave up their Judaism. Why don't we rebirth? So now, you know, Jews prided themselves. We prided themselves. Jews, th there was a personality of a Jew based upon the Jewish religion. What was, we were peaceful people. We run away from violence. We eschewed violence. We were not warriors. Our personnel is the opposite of warriors. The Zionists now pride themselves in their ability to, I don't know what, to blow things up, right? They're strong and they're warriors and, and, and they can shoot and they made Krav Maga. And all the, the, in, in fact, Vladimir Jabotinsky said the goal of a Zionism is to create a personality the opposite of the Jew. The Jew is ugly. The Zionist is going to be handsome. The Jew is a coward. The Zionist is going to be proud. The Jew runs away. The, the, the Zionist is going to tell the world, I am a Zionist, in their face, point them in their face. The goal of Zionism was to create people who are the opposite, the exact opposite of Jews. It was not the rebirth of Judaism. It was the death of the, their Judaism and the rebirth of a poison for Judaism. It was the birth of a Frankenstein monster that came out of Zionism. It was the rebirth of, of 19th century nationalism, German vitalism, Nietzschean uh, uh, Ibermenschism, um, Christian Zionism, which came before Z uh, Jewish Zionism, the rebirth of of, of paganism masquerading as Judaism. And the Zionist thing, the Zionists would prefer all of those ideologies to the ideology of what Judaism traditionally is. So it's not the rebirth. Let me ask you another question. Most people who do know about Orthodox Jews and that they have this opposition to uh, Zionism uh, will claim that well, this is just a this is just a small fringe minority of lunatics. Um, most people think that Orthodox Jews are all Neturkarta, but Netur but 
they're really not. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And that it's people who speak like you basically represents a, a lunatic fringe among Jews. First of all, let's assume, okay, let's take those three things, minority, lunatic, fringe, okay? Let's start with lunatic. Let's assume I'm a minority. Do I sound like a lunatic? Tell me, who sounds more like a lunatic? Me or, me or Benjamin Netanyahu? Who sounds more like a lunatic? Me or the settlers with the, with the, the Tagmachir uh, things? Who, who sounds more like a lunatic? Me or Ariel Sharon? Tell me who sounds more like a lunatic, okay? I don't see the world accusing me of being insane. I see the world accusing them of being insane. Who sounds more like a lunatic? Me that say that says that we should save Jewish lives and we shouldn't go to war because it's not worth it, or the guys in the territories who, when they interview them, they say, yes, we're putting our children in danger because God gave us this land. Who sounds more like a lunatic? Me that say, I just want to be an American, practice my religion over here, leave us alone, or Naftali Bennett when he gets interviewed by Mehdi Hassan in front of millions of people and he asks them about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, he says to him, well, God gave us the land, and we're allowed to do with it what we want, we're allowed to take it from whoever we want, and if you don't like it, go change the Bible. Tell me, who sounds more like a lunatic, me or him, all right? So even if I'm a minority, even if I'm a fringe, He's there, the lunatics. You, you point out something illogical or unreasonable in what I say, and for everything that, for, for every lunacy that the Zionists, that the Zionists believe in, for every hundred crazy things that the Zionists believe in, try to find one that I do, okay? That's number one. So being a lunatic is objective reality. It has nothing to do with, with minority and minority. So that's number one. They're the lunatics. Number two. As far as being uh, a fringe, remember, the majority of Jews in the Holy Land, when Zionism came, opposed Zionism. Rabbi Sonnenfeld himself was the chief rabbi of the uh, Jewish um, uh, population in Palestine, and he was the one that sent Jacob Dahan to... Uh, the British to tell them the Jews don't want um, a state. Uh, nobody said, the Zionists didn't say, don't listen to me, he's fringe. What they did instead was they assassinated him because they were afraid that people would know, would realize that they're not lunatics, they're not fringe, and they're not a minority. Now, as far as being a minority concerned, it's absolutely not true. There are people who are very not outspoken, and listen, there are people who are not outspoken about all sorts of causes. Take any cause in the world, you know. Um, uh, there are people who don't believe in cruelty to animals, whatever, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be uh, joining the... They're, they're going to be protesting. There's a difference between somebody who has a belief and somebody who's outspoken. And they're not everybody who could even articulate the things that they want to, even, even if they, they wanted to. That people don't have the time, the effort, or the ability. We are no minority. I would challenge anybody that thinks that to go into any yeshiva, um, and except the modern Orthodox officially Zionist yeshiva, see if there's an Israeli flag. The answer is no. See if they celebrate any Israeli holidays. The answer is no. Ask the dean, are you guys Zionists? His answer will be, God forbid. So why aren't you on television? Why don't you speak about it? I'll tell you the answer. The answer is that the Jewish, the Jewish mission, the Jewish lifestyle is to be alone, segregated. Think Shaolin monks but with Judaism instead of whatever religion the Shaolin monks have. We stay in our enclaves, we do our meditations, our prayers, our activities, you know. That's all we want. All we want is to be left alone. I, I'm telling you, I would not be going on television, I would not be speaking for in, in Washington, D.C., I would not be speaking in various different places, 
I wouldn't be uh, a board of, on the board of directors of the International Council of Middle East Studies in Washington, D.C., a think tank. Um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't do all that. I wouldn't be on television shows. I wouldn't be on radio shows. I wouldn't broadcast on WABC. You know why I do it? It's not because I'm against Zionism. I could be against I'm against a lot of things. I'm against what the Indians are doing in Kashmir. But I'm not, you know why I'm doing this is because I want them to leave me alone. They're endangering me. There are a lot of causes that I believe in, but I can't go around being an activist for all those causes. But I must be an activist for this cause. You know why? Because since the Zionists are claiming they represent the Jews and they are the state of the Jews, in fact, it's written into Israeli law that Zionism, that Israel is this nation state of all the Jewish people. So I'm an American citizen. Israel claims to represent me. They claim that their ideology is Judaism. And I'm, a, and I'm a lunatic fringe. You know what happens because of that? People think I'm a Zionist and they blame me for the crimes that the Zionists commit. They think that you don't have to be religious in order to be a Jew. Do you know how many Jews they're harming? Jews that want to be good Jews. They want to be good Jews. Whatever being a good Jew means, they want to be a good Jew. Meaning a religious Jew, not a good Jew. You could be a good human without being Jewish. We're talking about they want to fulfill their Jewish heritage. The only way to fulfill Jewish heritage is by being religious. But because of Zionism, you don't need to be religious. All you have to do is join an army and shoot whoever Israel says to shoot. They're harming my people. And they're harming me. Because anti-Semitism is increased because of the state of Israel. The Cantor Center for Anti-Semitism of the Tel Aviv University. It is the largest, they have the largest database of anti-Semitic um, data in the world. They're different than the ADL. The ADL are activists with an agenda and they are pol politicians. These guys are scientists. I didn't read this, the latest report, but every year, they have a report, and invariably, it says that whenever Israel is involved in a controversy, either in a war or they do something specific in a war that's, that, that people don't like, anti-Semitism all over the world goes up. And when they're at peace and nobody, no, nobody has any complaints against them, anti-Semitism is reduced. And the reason they say, and it's pretty obvious, is because since people connect Israel with the Jews, they claim to be the Jewish state. These false claims, their claim that they represent me and all of us is what puts, amongst other things, is anti-Semites other than that, but that puts us in grave danger, grave danger. Statistics show that. And therefore, for my self-interest, if I'd be a narcissist and interested in myself, my family, my people, right? It is my duty to go out of my enclave. Look, Miko, you were here in my house. You saw my books, right? This is what I'd love to do all day. I would love to sit here all day and write my books, my commentaries on the Bible and on the Talmud and teach my students about our religion, right? But this is an emergency situation. I have been given by God the, the opportunity and the ability to go out and explain this to people that Israel does not represent the Jews. So I'm doing it. But go do the research. Do the research. Don't listen to, to, to the ADL. Don't listen to the Zionists. Don't listen to these clowns on Twitter that claim that anybody, that, that Zionism is Judaism. It's a joke. If Zionism is Judaism, then, uh, I don't know, Theodore Herzl invented Judaism? Does that make any sense? Theodore Herzl? Who, who hated Judaism, literally, and he hated Jews. He hated Jews. He called non-Jewish Jews not Jews. He said they're not of the same race as Jews. And Judaism has ex existed way before the state of Israel. It will exist after the state of Israel. Um, and, and therefore, there are a small minority of people that speak out because really it takes a lot of sacrifice to do so and a lot of opportunity to do so. 
thank God I've been given opportunity in various reasons, and that's the only reason I'm doing it. But please, anybody thinks I'm a minority, go do the research. Go, 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 don't, don't listen to Twitter. You've done, you've done a ton of research. You've written an incredibly well thought out, well researched book called The Empty Wagon. Um, so I would uh, encourage people who really want to understand this issue and the conflict that exists between Judaism and Zionism to check out your book. Um, well, it's been almost an hour, and I know we could go on and on and on forever. So I really appreciate your, um, your time and your thoughts. And uh, we must do this again sometime. So Absolutely, thank, Miko. Thank you. Pleasure very speaking much. to you always. Thank you. Okay, that's going to do it for today. Thank you for keeping up with the Miko Palette podcast. If you could please rate and review this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, whatever podcast app you like, that would be great. Remember to register for our upcoming two-part online event, which be, which will be held on Zoom. The name of the event is From Corbin to Sanders, Our Zionist Organizations Targeting Progressive Politicians. So this event's going to feature two excellent guest panels, and just make sure to save those dates. Part one is going to be happening on Wednesday, May 6th. Part two is happening one week later on Wednesday, May 13th. You can go ahead and get yourself registered by going to mikopaled.com. And lastly, if you have any questions for Miko, you can always shoot those over to me at booking at mikopaled.com, and we will try to get those answered on forthcoming episodes and in future newsletters as well. All right, till next time. <laughs>